I don't know about y'all, but growing up, one of my favorite pastimes while I was in school was trying to figure out how I could get sick and not go to school. Some of y'all probably still play that game here on campus. It's not a good game to play, by the way, but one of the reasons I love staying home so much, even though I might have been in total pain and suffering from whatever illness that I actually had, it was always fun to flip through the channels and always throughout the day come back to Cartoon Network. And I loved, for whatever reason, to watch Scooby-Doo. And not the new stuff that's all weird and whatever it is, but the old classic ones that were on rerun all day long for whatever reason. And I loved it, which is so strange to me because I don't like spooky things. I don't like ghosts. I don't like being scared. I don't like Halloween all that much. And something I remember from all these Scooby-Doo cartoons is that always when the gang was going to whatever cave or house or graveyard or whatever was supposedly haunted, there was always either a sign or some booming voice that would show up and say, go back, turn around, stay away from here, beware, go home, something like that. In other words, if you want to stay safe, go back home. Stay there. Don't come here. And you know, the great contrast, well, the irony, first of all, is that they always still went straight to the problem. Oh, we're going to ignore all of the signs and all the warnings. I'm just going to go straight to what it is that's telling me to turn around because that's where the problem lies. And of course, at the end, they tear off the mask and oh, it's so and so and the episode ends. But the great contrast is that throughout Scripture, we see actually the total opposite. We see people who want to go back home or don't want to go where God is calling them to go. Look at the Israelites. They were all aboard leaving Egypt and being ransomed. But a little while later, and they turn to Moses and they say, we're tired of all of this food. That's just the same thing over and over and over again. We don't have fresh water. We don't have enough snacks. It's just an absolute disaster. So why did you take us out of Egypt? Yeah, they beat us. Yeah, we didn't get that great of a living condition. The food was barely anything, but at least it tasted somewhat better than this stuff. Yeah, we were miserable and we were slaves, but hey, at least we had the food and water that we want. We don't have it out here, so bring us back. Let's turn around. They wanted to turn back. Look at the, the, the wife of Lot. They're leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, and God says, do not turn around. This is your salvation. Keep going where I'm bringing you. She turns around and she turns to this pillar of salt. She wants to go back to home, to comfort. There was nothing good that was there for her. God was ransoming everybody, bringing them out for a reason, and yet she still turned around. Jonah, I don't want to go to Nineveh, Lord. I want to stay right here. So he tries to run away, gets in his boat, sails away, and then here comes a big fish, swallows him and spits him, literally vomits him up on the seashore. We want to turn around. We want to leave sometimes, to go back to our comfort. The irony is that when we're listening to this account of Easter Sunday evening with the road to Emmaus, these two disciples, Cleopas and whoever his companion is, they're leaving Jerusalem. They don't want to be there. So Jesus comes along, and of course, we get the spoiler alert. They don't know it's Jesus, and they're downcast. They're disappointed. How many times have we said the same things to somebody? I know, you know, this happened and that happened and all these beautiful things and it's just a blessing and our hearts were on fire. However, we were hoping that, insert whatever disappointment we're going through. 
Jesus did this, he said that, he worked all of these wonderful signs, and we were hoping that he would be the one to ransom us, we, he would be the one that would fulfill all of these prophecies and these scriptures and everything that the Messiah is supposed to do. He did it all, but then they killed him, and now his body's missing, and we don't know where to go. So we're leaving. Walk with us. There's a disappointment. And notice, we get it wrong sometimes as Christians because we tend to want to fix things. Somebody comes to you, oh, I have this problem, math harm. Well, try this, try that. Rarely do we ever just take a step back, take a deep breath, and listen to them. Tell me more about your experience, like Jesus does. What things are you talking about? What took place in Jerusalem? Jesus knows good and well. He's the one it happened to. But tell me what your experience is. I want to know more. And then little by little by little, as they walk along, he breaks open all of the scriptures and reveals that Jesus was the Christ and that Moses and all the prophets were correct and that there is a reason to hope, and yet they still don't see him. How often in our lives do we walk along our path and we need Jesus, maybe in disguise even, to come and to say, no, I'm right here. What you believe is true even though you don't feel it right now. I say this in the gentlest way possible, but your feelings in prayer do not matter. And I say that in a certain sense, right? Your emotions and your experiences, your encounters with people and things and struggling and everything else, God allows that to say something to us in prayer. But what you feel in prayer is not always legitimate. You can feel absolutely like garbage in prayer. I don't know the love of God the Father. Who is Jesus? I don't know. He's not saying anything. I'm faithful to my holy hour day after day after day after day. I'm reading my Bible page after page. I don't know who this is. I'm not getting anything. I feel like I'm just so distant. That does not mean you're distant. That does not mean you're too far away. On the flip side of it, too, everything is just going swimmingly in life. It's just golden and perfect. I feel so close to God. That doesn't mean you're close to God. Our fidelity to these different things and the small things of showing up to prayer and being honest with the Lord and saying, yeah, I had all these hopes, but yada, yada, yada. We had all these hopes that Jesus would fulfill and ransom us, but they killed him. But now he's missing. But we don't know what's going to happen, so we're leaving. There is no but. There is no what if. There's only the truth of who Jesus is and where he calls us to go. We don't need to turn back. But notice something, after they encounter Jesus, although they don't know it, they get to this place, their house, and Jesus gives the impression that, all right, see y'all later, and he's going to keep on walking, and they say, no, stay with us. Not just because they made a friend, but because they want to know more. Something is drawing them in. Tell us more about this prophet, whoever in the, the, the scriptures. Tell us more about this particular thing. You're a teacher, you're a rabbi, you know all this stuff. Tell us more. Stay with us. Don't go. So he stays, and when do they recognize Jesus? When he celebrates Mass. This is the second Mass ever. The first was at the Last Supper. And then he takes the bread, which you'll hear in the words of the Eucharistic prayer. He took the bread, he gave thanks, said the blessing, and when he broke it, their hearts were changed, their eyes were opened, and they said, Oh my goodness, it's Jesus, he is alive. And then like Scooby-Doo, he just vanishes. But notice what happens next. They're able to look back on their whole encounter, their whole journey of seven miles from Jerusalem. And they say, huh, 
Weren't our hearts burning? Didn't we know that was him when we listened to his voice and saw that there is hope and there is freedom and there is fulfillment in what he was telling us, what is written in the scriptures? Don't we know that this is the case? It's beautiful. And that's still not the end of the story. They turned right back around and then they turned back. They were ready to get out of Dodge and go flee and live their happy lives doing whatever it was in their disappointment. And yet they encounter Jesus and they turn back and go where? To the church. Not to the church building, but to the community of believers, to the other apostles, the disciples. And then at the time, the disciples too say, no, Jesus is alive. He's risen and he appeared to Simon Peter. And then they get to say, no, he appeared to us too. Could you imagine how fulfilling and how beautiful that would have been for them? To struggle and to be downcast and disappointed and to express that and to have Jesus himself in the flesh break open the scriptures. And then Jesus again in the flesh give them to eat his very flesh. If only that happened still today. Oh wait, it does. Every time we approach this altar, it's like the road to Emmaus. Whether it's seven miles from my house, like Jerusalem to Emmaus, maybe it's just a few steps from your dorm, your apartment. Every time you approach this altar of sacrifice, we encounter the Lord in the breaking of the bread because he is alive and because he desires to hear from you whatever your honest, raw emotion is, whatever your experience is. He's not just going to leave you there. He's going to constantly walk with you. See, this road to Emmaus takes, part, takes place in a very small section of Luke's gospel, like 10, 20 verses. And yet it's the perfect story of what our spiritual lives really should look like. Yeah, we're going to get disappointed. We're going to be let down or it's going to feel like it. The Lord is still there. Tell me more. What hurts? What were you expecting How did I not deliver? How does it seem like I'm not here? Tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. The more open, the more honest, the more authentic our complaints are, our joys, our struggles, our sorrows, our achievements, the more authentic and honest they are, the more we open our hearts to be able to receive from the Lord what his life is, what the truth is, who we are to him and how much we mean to him. We encounter the same Jesus every time we attend Mass on this altar. Every time we approach Him to receive Him, so long as we're prepared or we're not conscious of any serious sin, we should be able to receive Him. Body, blood, soul, and divinity. He wants that for you, that gift for you. Once we come here and encounter the Lord, then we should turn back. Then we should go home. Then we should bring Him in all His fullness and all His truth to our workplaces, our classrooms, our relationships, our friendships, to bring him out to the church. Not the church building, but the community of believers who the Lord has chosen and desires, starting with you. So you've made the journey. You've come all the way here. You're in Emmaus, if you will. But the Lord says to you what those two disciples said to him, stay with me, stay with me. I enjoy your company. I want you to be here. It's good that you're here because I love you. I want to break bread with you. I want to give you my very self, my flesh and blood, my life, so that we too can go home on that journey, 
bring him back to everybody that we encounter, and then still say, it's true. The Lord is risen. He is alive. And he has appeared to me. Thank you for listening. The ministry here at CTK is made possible through our generous donors and golden givers. If you would like to learn more or partner with Christ the King on LSU's campus, please visit ctklsu.org.